The OCI was formed to standardize these ideas and have CoreOS involved in Docker and Red Hat and Google and all the major players. And out of that came the first version of Containerd as a way to start to break Docker into sort of its component pieces. Welcome to the Open at Intel podcast, where we're all about open source, from software to security to innovation and beyond. I'm your host, Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel, bringing you leading edge, free ranging conversations from some of the best minds in the open source community. Let's get into it. At KubeCon, I sat down with Phil Estes of AWS to chat about Phil's involvement in the container runtime ecosystem, the relationship between Docker and Kubernetes, and the growth of the CNCF, and the Container D project. Join us in our geeky adventure. Hey, Phil, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy KubeCon schedule to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, great to be here. Um, KubeCon's always super busy, but also like a great place for me to connect with tons of open source folks I already work with and get to see in person, have meetings, and uh, makes it hectic, but also a, a really good good week. Yeah, I, it is nice to have that face-to-face -face time, especially when you're so used to you know connecting asynchronously, working on projects together. So you're very involved. You're a maintainer. You're an ambassador. You do a lot of things. Tell us a little bit. Introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, yeah, so Phil Estes, I'm a principal engineer at AWS. That's where my paycheck comes from, but I was a longtime IBMer before that. And really the continuity through both those employers has been my work in the container runtime uh, corner of this ecosystem. So I was a Docker maintainer back in the early days of Docker, helped bring ContainerD to the CNCF. Docker obviously donated it as a company, but a lot of us early maintainers were part of those discussions. And so now, um, well, seven or eight years in, uh, ContainerD has become a very mature project used by Kubernetes and many other projects in the container runtime space. So yeah, alongside with that, I've been involved in the OCI, the technical oversight board for the specs and standards around what a container is, what a container image is, and then over the years became a CNCF ambassador and, um, you know, use that as an opportunity to share what I've learned and about these projects and about the OCI at conferences, meetups, and, and everything in between. So, so it's funny. So here we are. We're in, it, is, it is 2023 and we are at KubeCon. And KubeCon is... Kubernetes is like maybe the ultimate... Well, next to Linux, maybe the ultimate open source success story in, in a way. I remember a hundred years ago. <laughs> so I used to work for Linux Journal a million years ago, and I, I, I edited one of our issues. It was Drupal focused, but one of the articles, I, and I can't remember the year that the, this was maybe 2011, 2012, something like that. Or maybe it was earlier. I can't remember. Anyway, the, I remember a, a title sticks in my mind, and that is Containers, Not VMs Are the Future. <laughs> it was this very, like, and and again, it, I can't remember the exact year, but it wasn't that long ago. And yet now, it, does anything not run in a container? Like, <laughs> I'm prone to hyperbole, but it's kind of the case, right? It is yeah. almost as ubiquitous as something like Linux. How did we get here? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, there were, Docker has a complicated history. There were detractors of their specific model of trying to to bring their startup to maturity. 
uh, that led to a lot of, you know, some conflicts in the open source world. Uh, but yet, I always credit them with really, uh, you know, that easy transition of like even understanding how do I run a container. Like the, when they created Docker, the tool, uh, I think people really got it uh, in the sense that they not only used the technologies that had existed, you know, way back, you know, even a decade before them, um, you know, they're, they're kernel maintainers who will tell you like, well, I had my script that made containers and built right. them and, and, you know, I used it to do my builds and, and you know, pieces of, of the container world existed long before Docker, but by their creation of like the standard concept of an image and then a repository Docker hub with like tons of images that you wanted to use out of the box, you know, whether you needed Redis or MySQL or, um, you know, a web server, you know, all these images were there and you just type Docker run Redis and it just, this magic happened. And I think, you know, when they came out with that, you know, tool 2013-ish era, uh, I think late that year and early 2014 is when I got involved in the project. You could, you could sense that people were like understanding having this aha moment. Um, I can package my software like this and it's gonna be super easy and it's gonna be faster than a VM and it's, you know, there's yeah. gonna be these benefits that I gain. Um, and yeah, from there it just steamrolled. And I think the interesting thing is like, uh, I think there was a sense that like, well, Docker came about and then Kubernetes. But if you look back at, you know, search YouTube for talks about Kubernetes, it's almost like they were growing up together. Yeah. Kubernetes was right there in 2014. Early releases were coming out. Um, and yeah, I think as, as with everything, timing, you know, it, it arrived at the right time when people were looking for faster ways to deploy software and better ways to develop locally and have the same idea of like, I'm packaging everything the way I need it to be on the server yeah. and all the, th all the problems people had had with configuration drift and self-man, you know, SSHing to my server to edit a comp file. Containers kind of arrived to solve a lot of these challenges. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as somebody, I, I used to, you know, the type of work I used to do was, um, yeah, I would say I was one of those people who, whose, whose life was improved <laughs> by starting to work, develop locally in containers. I wondered, tell us a little bit, because, I, again, I assume no, I assume no knowledge <laughs> on behalf of the, the listeners here. Tell us about the relationship. You know, we hear, a lot of, we hear a lot of project names. Tell us about the relationship between, between Container D and Docker. Yeah. And how it evolved into a being yeah. a donated project. That's a great question. So, uh, you know, Docker uh, as a project was was this monolithic tool. It was a single binary. It was both the Docker engine. It was your client. It was your build tool, um, which, you know, to be honest, made it super easy for adoption. It's like, oh, there's a single binary, and I put it on a Linux system, and I get to do all these things. Um, very quickly, you know, there were, as I said, there were some challenging aspects around open source and um, about who was going to win the container wars, so to speak, and Rocket came from CoreOS around the same time, and they had an actual spec that they wanted to produce around an application container interface. Uh, so fast forward through, you know, a lot of that, the OCI was formed to standardize these ideas and have CoreOS involved and Docker and Red Hat and Google and 
all the major players. Um, and out of that came the first version of Container D as a way to start to break Docker into sort of its component pieces. So Docker could have a client, it could have the engine, and it could have Container D that was actually managing these OCI bundles of what a container was and what an image was. Uh, and Run C was also a piece of the Docker engine that was broken out and donated to the OCI. And so all of a sudden Docker was um, a, you know, no longer this monolith, it was multiple projects that combined together to provide the features of building containers, running containers. Um, so that initial version of Container D was really born out of this decomposition of what had been a single you know, piece of software um, again, Kubernetes was also, you know, becoming popular around the same time. And there was this idea that, you know, Docker, the product, and, and as the project had grown as well, was too much of a runtime for Kubernetes. It had too many features. It had its own orchestrator at one point. Docker Swarm was added. Mm -hmm. And so Container D was also seen as like, hey, we've already built this sort of process manager around OCI bundles. Why don't we expand it to be a more full runtime? Docker can still use it, you know, to manage containers on its behalf, but Kubernetes can use it as a container runtime instead of the whole Docker engine. Um, and so that's when Containerd kind of grew up from being this simple process lifecycle manager to having, you know, registry push-pull operations um, snapshotters to manage the on-disk image cache. Um, and so that's when it was also donated to the CNCF in early 2017. So that's kind of how it came right. out of Docker into its own kind of life as a, as a full container runtime. So tell us from, from your perspective also, again, as a maintainer, um, how, how does life change when a project goes from when it goes into being part of the CNCF, when it's donated and then becomes goes through the process of... of um... Yeah, I mean, so that was 2017. It's hard to believe we're getting near seven years since that donation. The CNCF has grown up considerably in the number of projects. You know, back then we were one of, I think, 13 projects in the CNCF. Imagine that. Uh, I remember <laughs> KubeCon in Berlin is where it was announced that uh, March... 2017, and you know, they're just a few booths, a few vendors compared to what we have now. But the CNCF was definitely valuable in the sense of like, um, you could, especially with some of the discrepancies around how open were certain pieces of the container ecosystem, the CNCF kind of gave this, this confirmation to companies who wanted to consume these projects that these are fully open the, you know, we have good governance. Now, Containerd had tried to already adopt some good core governance, uh, but, you know, CNCF brought some of that uh, instilling of, like, let's make sure that projects have multiple vendors involved. Right, neutrality. You know, that there's not single vendor control. And we definitely benefited from, especially in the early days, some of the work that CNCF did around marketing the project and, and giving us time at KubeCon to talk about the project. So... So yeah, definitely it, it was part of our maturing process to come into the CNCF and gain credibility and adoption um, through you know what has grown to be obviously a huge ecosystem. 
Yeah, so looking back again, at like around the 2017 timeframe, I mean, I would imagine the challenges you faced then are very different from the challenges you faced today. And what, what are those and how has that evolved? What do you see right now as the challenges versus back then? Yeah, so I think now it's it's interesting in that, um, you know, Chris Anichek mentioned the, the CNCF landscape that people either love Immense. or hate. Um, <laughs> And so there's that idea that, like, it's so big, there's so many projects, like, how do you differentiate? How do you attract contributors? You know, the, the, the machinery of, like, such a large ecosystem um, can feel overwhelming to people. Um, I don't feel like we've had as much trouble as ContainerD uh, sort of has this maturity of, of, you know, people knowing about it, people using it you know, with Kubernetes or with Docker. And so I don't think we've had um, necessarily some of the challenges that I would say like a young project, you know, just joining the CNCF might have today about, you know, how do I stand out? How do I get people to know about me? Uh, but we do also, we, we feel the challenge of um, attracting contributors in a world where the container runtime is one very small piece of now, you know, people talking about AI and ML and, and all the exciting kind of yeah. uh, shinier objects in our ecosystem, a container runtime is not necessarily the most exciting thing to work on. Um, so we've, we feel like we kind of have a niche where we tend to attract like people who are operating clouds, like the Chinese cloud providers, the major you know, US hyperscalers. Those are the kinds of people that tend to work on ContainerD because they're right. the ones consuming it in their you know cloud mission offerings. critical right yeah. yeah sure yeah that's interesting yeah I, it is when you talk, think about the landscape and I, again, I i i can't tell you how many times i've talked about this even on this podcast like <laughs> it's it's immense it's overwhelming as, as as a newcomer it's it's completely overwhelming the world has changed so much from you know when i got started working on the things that i used to work on to today software is massively complicated nobody yeah. knows how everything works that's impossible Right. And, and like you say, people are attracted to certain areas and there are these little like little micro communities everywhere. Right. And I would imagine right. that you do to an extent compete for contribution. Um, I went, well, on, on that note, I wondered, you know, if you could tell us a couple of things. One is, you know, like what's on the roadmap? What are the, the critical issues that you, that you want to see being worked on right now in the container D project? Yeah, so we're kind of in an exciting time where we just cut our 2.0 beta, and yes, we did it in sync with KubeCon because it's a nice <laughs> yeah, time to talk sure. about the project. Marketing and what we're is doing. always important. <laughs> um, uh, but it is it is exciting because um, you know, in a sense, we're a mature project. We've been around, like I said, at least seven years now, and 2.0 is our chance to kind of. Uh, we've had a lot of deprecations, deprecated features over you know, the last seven years. And so 2.0, we're excited about, um, especially the Kubernetes use case. We've had some contributions around a new sandbox API. And you know, we've got people writing uh, shims that, that you know, not everyone wants to run just containers. They want to run Wasm. They want to mm -hmm. run isolated containers inside VM isolation, people at Intel working on some of those technologies. And so this new Sandbox API is a cleaner way for 
these kind of projects to, to live within the container D ecosystem. We also have had this growing um, use of snapshotters, custom snapshotters for specialty file systems, distributed file systems, also lazy loading. So AWS mm -hmm. created okay. a Sochi snapshotter for seekable OCI images. Um, and so it's, these are two areas where ContainerD is kind of growing and, and you know, as much as the core is a very mature and, and well-used project, uh, some of these sandbox ideas and the snapshotter expansions are, are kind of neat ways that we're seeing people extend ContainerD in ways that we, we hoped and envisioned um, extensibility, but seeing it come to fruition. And so I think with 2.0, you know, having cleaner interfaces for this, uh, cleaning up some of the, you know, deprecated features. Yeah. Um, you know, our roadmap is is kind of like seeing 2.0 as this new kind of stake in the ground and and seeing all the extensibility and things people want to do with it going forward. Cool. So so you mentioned, again, competing for uh, contributors. What, what would you encourage people it, 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 let's say okay you've gotten you've gotten past the hurdle of getting them excited <laughs> to contribute to your project whatever that project may be but in your case um what would you like to see people come in and work on and get started with yeah um so uh you know i think one of the things that um i'm sure is a refrain that when you talk to open source maintainers um we've struggled to keep documentation up to date relevant uh, and uh, as I've just talked about, we have kind of different use cases for what you might want to do with ContainerD, and so it's hard for us to, to sort of have multiple lines of documentation. Oh, I'm a Kubernetes user, and I just want ContainerD to be the runtime. Well, that's more like, here's a bunch of administration knobs and, and configs that, that you want to know about, versus, oh, I want to extend ContainerD with my special use case. Well, that's like a whole different kind of documentation so we're trying to get people excited about, you know, yeah. helping update and improve documentation. And, and the CNCF uh, is also helping us there, you know, making a call for documentation contributors. And then thankfully we're not Kubernetes. We don't have a thousand people trying to contribute every day. Right. But, um, you know, we do have a limited set of maintainers who have day jobs with, with pressures of, of their own. Right. And so anytime someone says, you know, I don't want to change Container D to a totally new thing. I just want to help out. Like those are awesome people, you know, that just come help do cleanups and review code and review pull requests. And um, we're always looking for reviewers who just want to help the project, you know, deal with the influx of contributions and and uh, issues and debugging problems and all, all all that goes along with just the maintenance of a project. Yeah, I love. The, I like that you mentioned documentation. I, Kind of gets a bad rap. A bad rap. It's not um, people. People have this false sense that you have to write code. You have to contribute code yeah, in order to yep. be a contributor. But even if you do, whether you write code or not, writing good documentation is so much harder and so yes, much more important. Yeah. And and it's a way, or it has been for me. I, I've never really understood how something works until I've had to fully document it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. Yeah. So it, you know, it's, a, it's a really good place to really build your understanding of whatever it is. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And it certainly helps you on your on your career path, so there's always that. Um, yeah, so I wondered, tell me a little bit about how how your, your, your work, the day job, kind of fits into your community work. 
Yeah, it's actually been cool. I, I, um, I've been at AWS almost three years. I joined into like a the service team side of AWS. So, you know, we have managed Kubernetes, we have Fargate and ECS that run containers. We have a container registry. And within this organization, there's actually a container runtime team who uh, are people that we've hired and mentored to contribute to ContainerD and related projects around it. Um, and so a lot of my day job is, is helping, um, you know, with the technical mentorship and oversight of these teams that contributed ContainerD or uh, created Sochi Snapshot or the project I mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, we also created Finch, which is a combination of open source projects, uh, mostly in the CNCF around uh, local development environment on Mac that's all built on open source for uh, building and running and interacting with registries. Um, so, you know, it's cool that my day job is focused on open source, is focused on the projects that I care about. Uh, but obviously being, you know, at AWS, there's, there's all kinds of people that are like, hey, you're a container guy. Like, we're just trying to figure this out or we're trying to use this project or do you know how to connect with these people because we're having an issue here. Um, and so I feel like sometimes I'm just the connector of people between the open source communities I'm a part of and internal like service teams sure. building and consuming open source at AWS. It's, it's such a cool place to be, and I and I you know I think I think probably both of us are a bit uh, fortunate in that in that way that we we actually we have somebody to pay us to be involved in open source, and it's, yes, it's not the first yeah. time. It's not the first company, and it's it is a, a fantastic uh, thing if you can if you can make it work. I, I wanted to, to ask you also, just, just generally, and I ask everybody this, I want to know what you're excited about. But aside from the container D, aside from your the day job, what are you excited about right now in, in the open source world? Because there's always so much going on, and there's there's so little time to really dive into all of it. So I wondered if you had, if you could carve out a little extra time, where would you dive in? That is a great question. I, You know, I find myself, like, less focused on... The technology pieces, like I, I like to. I, I like to still review pull requests. I would love to contribute more it's an art. <laughs> if I had the time. Uh, but I have found that I'm enjoying this this role of more mentorship. I just gave a talk at uh, Linux Foundation's Member Summit about uh, mentoring the next generation of open source developers, and you know we've got a lot of. Um, you know, younger college hires coming into AWS. And it's actually exciting for me to see them get excited about open source contribution, to get a pull request merged and accepted, to see them kind of get that spark of like, oh, this is actually fun. Yeah, very and meaningful. I enjoy, yeah. you know, the community aspect of it. Like it's different than just, you know, you know, everyone's developing software in some sense if you're in the, the tech world, but but yeah, the, I think seeing them enjoy like the the community aspect of it has been a really fun part of my job that I really haven't had before now. Um, if I had more personal time, like I just love tinkering. Like I, the project we created, Finch. Like I would spend more time, you know, making that better, doing doing cool things with it. Um, we're trying to figure out how to put an extension framework on it and. You know, I'll set aside a little time to 
to poke at that here and there, but um, yeah, I don't I don't get much of that anymore. So it's it's tougher to to jump into yeah, no, I get that technical work uh, as much as I'd love to. I like I like that you mentioned mentorship. I, you know, I, I had this conversation recently with with somebody else. Just that you know, again, open source software, Linux, Kubernetes, all of these things are ubiquitous now. They're they're everywhere. The entire world runs on these things. They are very much critical. If if they go away, I, you know, I don't want to think of what happens the next day, right? Yeah. And in order for these things to be sustainable, yeah, right. you have to have a next generation contributing and getting ex- as excited as you have been the last X number of years. We need that those those other people coming into the community. Right. So right. so yeah, that's that is really fantastic. I thank you so much. I, I I really appreciate you, you know, sharing sharing the peek behind the curtain at Container D and telling us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was great. Cool. Thank you. You've been listening to Open at Intel. Be sure to check out more from the Open at Intel podcast at open.intel.com slash podcast and at Open at Intel on Twitter. We hope you join us again next time to geek out about open source.